the earth. This week there was a new law passed in Texas that you may have gotten wind of. And with the hope of the, the law was passed with the hope of preventing more abortions. And let me be clear, I need to switch to another mic. You're good. All right. Can you turn off the monitors then? I'm just going to assume yes. I love it. We're doing great. Uh, a new law was passed in Texas with the hope of preventing more abortions. And let me be clear, as Bible followers, in the debate of pro-life and pro-choice, we should be in our resounding on the side of affirming that life begins at conception and should be protected as such. Of course, there is much debate as to how best to go about this politically, and I'm not wading in those waters this morning. But one thing that caught my eye as I was following this story this week was how critical some of the comments about the law were which makes it illegal to have abortions after six weeks, would mean the critical comments coming about to name the fact that if this, what, if this being passed, it would mean that more and more babies with Down syndrome and other disabilities would be, quote-unquote, unnecessarily born. People unashamedly saying that someone born with Down syndrome or other disabilities should have never been given the chance at life. Someone looking at some of our most vulnerable brothers and sisters, and it strikes a particular chord with me because one of my cousins has Down syndrome, saying a change in the law, which again, I'm not up here debating whether or not that specific law is the best way to prevent abortions. I'm naming that this is extremely complicated. But these folks are naming this is bad because it means that more people with things like Down syndrome would be on this earth. So I read those hateful comments in the midst of studying this text and what a juxtaposition that was. Can you imagine Jesus' response to that comment today? So where would Jesus stand on caring for the most vulnerable people among us? We want to name first and foremost that Jesus cares deeply for the vulnerable. And this doesn't just mean the unborn baby with Down syndrome. Jesus cares deeply for that scared pregnant mom as well. Jesus would be advocating for prenatal care. He would be advocating and showing grace to all that are involved, not heaping on guilt and shame. Jesus' compassion knows no end or limit, and neither should ours. And how do I know this? I see this because I read the Bible. I see this throughout the gospel stories. Healing after healing is done by Jesus to who? The most vulnerable people in his midst. The people who have been cast out by society. The people who have committed the bad sins. The people that are shunned by the brothers and sisters that they're supposed to be loved by, viewed as less than. These are seemingly the people that Jesus is not only cares for, but is continually drawn into relationship with. This is here is just another incident, incidence of Jesus caring for those who are suffering from sicknesses and disabilities of one kind or another. That someone could be interested in them, especially be able to cure them. What a gift that is from God and what a window that is to who Jesus is. So how does Jesus care for the deeply, how does he care deeply for the vulnerable? First and foremost, Jesus sees the vulnerable. 
He lives in such a way that he interacts with the hurting people around them. We don't know all the circumstances of how he ended up here, but we recognize from this story that Jesus did not live in an ivory tower. He wasn't sectioned off in a gated community. He didn't look at the poor or the hurting or those that were cast out from society and say, don't touch me. I want to keep you at arm's length. We see from Jesus' life that most of his interactions were his ordinary life, living among those who are sick, depressed, worried about their future, hiding their shame in the past, losing faith, and then getting it back. People who have lost a loved one in death. We think about when he raised Mary's brother from the dead. Those who are involved in family misunderstanding. Those who are physically and spiritually hungry and thirsty. He's drawn to them. I want to tell you a story of what this looks like. I read this years ago. There's a story of an elementary school in, called Lake Elementary School, and I think it's up in Connecticut. But uh, uh, one of the fifth grade class, his teacher was named Mr. Alter. They made headlines when the boys in that class, every boy in that class decided themselves to shave their heads. And they did so without embarrassment because one of their friends, a little boy named Ian O'Gorman, a little 10-year-old, Ian developed cancer and had undergone chemotherapy. And as part of the chemotherapy, his hair, as we know, oftentimes began to fall out. And to make their friend feel at home, to make him feel one with the crowd, to make him not feel isolated, every little 10-year-old boy in that class shaved their, with their parents' permission, shaved their heads without Ian knowing. So when Ian walked back in from his first day back from chemotherapy, overwhelmed with emotion, saw all of his buddies that looked just like him. In that picture, we see kids that oftentimes do this better than us adults, that recognize that their, their friendship meant that they come near their buddy who was hurting, their buddy who was going through a difficult time. And so we have to ask ourselves, even before we ask, do we care enough to act, but are we living a life that allows us to interact with those who are hurting amongst us? Or are we so tunnel visioned with what we think is important about us, taking care of us, getting ahead for us? Or do we see those who are hurting amongst us? Lord, have mercy and open our eyes. The second thing is that Jesus makes time for the vulnerable. Let the little children come. We see Jesus with the, with the disciples when there's a story of the little children wanting to come to Jesus. And they actually like kind of, kind of block the little kids off from coming to Jesus. And he corrects them and says, let them come. What a waste of time from an efficiency standpoint to have the Son of God who could be teaching, who could be up on a mountain with a huge crowd doing enormous healings, just interacting with children. But his efficiency in ours is not the same. He makes time for the vulnerable. What we see in this passage in verse 33, which we can breeze over it so quickly, it says, after he took him aside. So this man who is deaf and has a hard time speaking, instead of making this into a, a big deal, a big show for everyone to see, he takes this vulnerable man and takes him aside in private. I can promise you Jesus was not 
sending this to his Instagram feed afterwards either. There is a moment here where we see Jesus' deep, deep love, not for the crowd, not for the, the fame, but for this individual person. Part of Jesus' humility was not looking for the admiration of crowds. Part of it was also Jesus' mission. He came primarily to teach and preach, and these miracles backed up his teaching, and he did not want the miracles to even distract from his teaching. In humility, he takes this man aside. And the third way that he, he sees and draws near to the vulnerable is that he physically comes close. Jesus touches this man's ear. He leans in and is present in this, er- this man's deep, the man's area of deep, deep shame and embarrassment. Instead of looking at that and kind of pushing it aside, he says, I'm going to lean in and recognize that you are made in the image of God and that I love you dearly. And so let me take a moment here just to explain the difference between descriptive and prescriptive text. So I want you to understand that when we see Jesus taking this man aside, putting his fingers into the ear, please do not let your application from this to go be putting your own fingers in other people's ears. This is descriptive of what Jesus has done and teaches us the principle. Prescriptive, like prescribing medicine, means we go do that. Don't, this is not prescriptive, church. This is descriptive. But in, in that descriptive love, we can think back into our own life when someone has drawn near to us and what that meant to us and our hurting and our pain. We've all gone through those valleys. And what did it mean for someone to draw near to us? When I was a junior in high school, I was the junior class co-president. And so we had a, a male co-president and a female co-president. And so we're wrapping up junior year, and at the end of the year, they do elections for the following year. And so the next kind of step forward is student body co-president, uh, male and female. And so as junior co-president, I was like, sure, like I would love to kind of transition and be student body co-president. Uh, I, I love, you know, I, I enjoy leadership. And, you know, everybody was like, this is a great role for you. And so I, it was a speech here. Three of us are running, three men uh, and three, uh, three women are running. And we have this time we do a speech in front of the whole school. So about 550 boys and girls, uh, eighth graders through juniors. They don't let the seniors uh, vote because they're out of here. Uh, but eighth graders through juniors. And I had prepared this very thorough speech that had, you know, had listed all the things that I'd done as junior class president, which, you know, is not really all that much. Um, but you know, all, you tried to exaggerate them as much as I could and kind of highlight them. Got up there and gave a speech that I thought was like, I sat back down and I was like, election over. Like, you don't even need to, like, count the votes. This is totally fine. Like, I will be happy to serve in this role once you elect me. But after I got done and sat back down, there was another guy who came up who was one of the other candidates running, a guy named Chuck F. Strachan. And Chuck is now, he is the now uh, uh, a state representative um, and has had a very strong political career. Uh, and I run into people uh, that will, you know, that know Chuck. Chuck had actually, after Ahmaud Arbery's uh, death, uh, when they, they pushed the bill forward to have uh, more stringent punishments for hate crimes, like Chuck actually, like, led that charge. And so apparently he's a wonderful man, like I'm sure he is. <laughs> and I will run into people that will be like, oh, you went to high school here? Like, oh, I know this guy, Chuck. And they'll, like, just list off all his accolades. But my experience with Chuck is not quite that same experience. <laughs> 
And so I sat back down, and Chuck gets up there, and Chuck is kind of a, kind of a, a dark horse in this race. Like nobody even, you know, he doesn't know a ton of people, but he gets up there and just gives this banging speech. Like he makes fun of me, he makes fun of himself, he makes fun of the other candidate. He is like, it just, have, it just has the whole, it's like a comedy hour uh, for his whole 15 minutes. And he is about halfway through, I looked over at the lady uh, who was my, my teacher at the time who had been kind of like coaching me through this, and I was like, it's over. Like, this is a done deal. He sits back down. They, I mean, he came back up for an encore. Like, they were so pumped for him. People are like, in, you know, they're like ready to like cart him off on their shoulders. And I can remember the whole chapel, so it's a big room, exiting, and I sat down on the front row, kind of inconspicuously kind of turned around, sat down on the front row, just absolutely crushed. Because I, I, I felt so dejected, I felt so, like I was vulnerable in front of all these people, and I knew that I wasn't going to win. But in that moment, there was a teacher that had been my, one of my dearest teachers, my high school math teacher, Dr. Morris. And Dr. Morris came down, and she just sat beside me. And she knew how much this meant to me. She knew how crushed I was, and she just sat there for a good 15 or 20 minutes, then wrote me an excuse so I was late to my next class, wrote me an excuse, and I will never forget that moment to the day I die. About two months ago, I actually went back to see Mrs. Morris, Dr. Morris now. She was Mrs. Morris then, got her doctorate later, went back to see her. I hadn't seen her in 20 years just to thank her for that one moment. Because that lady saw me and drew physically near and was the presence of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is our invitation. So when we go back to the opening about what a church is known for, recognizing that the church, we've messed this up in the past. And though I do think I'm very thankful for the way that Redeemer lives out our call to care for those who are hurting, we still, have, we, we still grow healthier and healthier in this. Because what I would love to see, I would love to have people come into the church at Redeemer and say, I heard from somebody else that this church is known for seeing, making time for, and drawing near to the people in need. What would that look like for the non-Christian to look at Christians, to have this passage, say they stumble into the Bible, get to Mark 7, read verses 31 to 37, and say, you know what, that reminds me of the church. Does anyone say that right now? But what would that look like if in 10 years after us being, you know, you know, grow and love our neighbor well, people read this passage, the non-Christian said, I want to know more about the Jesus that they represent. Meeting people in their pain, meeting people in their needs. James 1, which Rachel read earlier, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Anyone that is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. True religion that cares for the orphans and the widows. What if this story was read and people said, oh, that passage... That James passage, that reminds me of the Christians in my life. And brothers and sisters, I firmly believe this can be the church. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, if we understand first and foremost how Jesus treats and loves us, we can give this love away. So how do we do it? We've got to draw near 
to Jesus. We've got to draw near to the to Jesus that we sang to in those songs. C.S. Lewis has a great quote where he says, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you must get into the water. And if you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. If we want more compassion, we go and draw near to Jesus. If we want more love for neighbor, we don't muster it up. We draw near to Jesus. If we want to see the vulnerable and love him like he loves them, like he loves those people, we draw near to Jesus. And we remember the fact that not only are we called to love those who are broken, we're called to remember that we are that person who's broken. At one point, we were all cut off from God, separated by our sins. And if we were as helpless to change our condition, not, not any one of you, save yourself, you're a Christian here today, you are no more able to do that than this deaf and mute man was able to be able to make his ears hear and his tongue speak. But if you're a believer here today, somehow God got through to you just as Jesus got through to this man. You and I had hearts of stone that were softened through the Holy Spirit. Our ears were deaf to spiritual things, but God spoke to our hearts and opened us up. And just as it was a miracle 2,000 years ago, every one of you, if you're a believer here today, God did a miracle in your own heart. So put yourself in this story and imagine Jesus touching your ears. He clears the resistance. You hear love from him. The touch of Jesus on your ears, the touch of love, of life, of new hearing. His touch on the tongue gave the life of new speech and new freedom to a stammering man 2,000 years ago and gives it to us today. And brothers and sisters, that's the road forward. Yes, we want to continue growing into a church that sees the vulnerable, makes time for the vulnerable, draws near to the vulnerable. We will only get there when we all understand that we are the vulnerable. Of course, not everyone, suffer, not everyone suffers from the same struggles, but Lord knows we all have our struggles. We all have the things that we're ashamed of that Jesus draws near to. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the gospel of grace, where you see us in our brokenness and in our sin. And you offer mercy and grace and forgiveness. May that sink into the deep parts of who we are. May we offer that to the world around us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.